What do you want to accomplish with your life? What do you want to mean? Who do you want to be? For you having been alive, what is different? The answer to that is a goal, but the strategies for how to accomplish that, and in particular, the tactics for how to get there, require you to do some things that you probably aren't really passionate about. CEOs, on average, read 60 books per year. Many attribute their professional success to this persistent quest for new wisdom and innovative excellence. MentorBox makes it easy for you to develop that same high-achieving habit of lifelong learning. As a person of action, you know that true ingenuity is the result of deep learning and knowledge. And just by listening to this podcast, you're working toward your goals every single day. If you're ready to wholly embrace this mindset, this 1% better every day, then check in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for new episodes. And if you want to dive deeper into the teachings of our guests, become a member at mentorbox.com today. There you'll find tons of lessons from today's guest, Jonathan Kendall. He and I had such a good time recording the last podcast, we figured, why not continue the conversation? This time around, the conversation actually began when we were just working across desks from each other, particularly late one night. We realized we work together, but because of that, we also spend much of our lives together. And the conversation of what a work-life balance is came up between us. We've heard terms like work-life balance. Some use work-life blend. Some people say that work must equal life. So we decided to really dig in and unpack this discussion because it seems to be pretty culturally significant these days. We come to the conclusion that maybe the wrong question is actually being asked and we need to reframe things and think, what is work? We get into some really interesting thoughts on generational differences and the history of labor. So there's a lot to take away from this conversation. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Mentor Box Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Lay, Content Coordinator, and today I am speaking with Jonathan Kendall, COO of Mentor Box and the former voice of the podcast. Today, I want to speak about what it is that you and I do, Jonathan, which is we work and we live, and we work at Mentor Box. We spend much of our lives together because of that, just right across the desk from each other. And something that I hear a lot from the folks that we engage with is this this sort of cultural discussion around what it is to to have a, a job and to have a life, you know, balancing them. So work-life balance, is it a work-life blend, I think is something that maybe Google coined or one of those big companies. And there, there's just so much to think about this. And I feel like most people just take it on as a very, you know, yeah, you got to live and you got to work. It's two different things. That's, that's kind of what the common um, consensus seems to be. And I want to have this conversation with you. What are your initial thoughts on this this discussion itself and how people discuss work and life? Yeah, I think that most people create a false dichotomy in either extreme. So there's basically two camps the way that I see it. On one hand, you should always follow your passion and you should do something that you really love. And therefore, work is not work. Work is your life. And there is no work-life balance because you blend the two. Uh, and then there's another camp 
that says, no, and I think this is generational is my instinct, uh, that says, no, work is work and you know, you need to focus. And if you don't like what you are doing, then that's okay because sometimes that's the way that life is. And, you know, if you're a farmer, you might not necessarily like what is required, but you know, you need food and it's kind of an ancient thing where like, you know, you just need to do what you need to do and kind of just shut up about it. And then when you come home, because you've done your work, now you're safe and now you have food and you're comfortable and you know, you have a home and a community and all of that. And then when you are at home, really be at home, right? So those are kind of the two, uh, two camps. And I think that they're both right and they're both wrong. And <laughs> great answer. <laughs> and this, uh, what I mean by that is, um, and we're going to unpack that. Of course, I just don't think that dogmatism in, in any way, which way is really proper. I think there are times in your life when you really do need to super hyper focus on work, even if you don't necessarily enjoy it. Kind of, you know, the marshmallow test in a way where you have to. You have to sacrifice now for later and for greater gains later. And I think that's okay. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that if you're not completely passionate about some particular email that you're writing or, you know, some, <laughs> I think there's going to be. I love all my emails equally. You know, <laughs> I think there's going to be parts of even a job that you theoretically love that are going to be difficult. Think about like a professional basketball player. I bet they don't love having to. I don't know, hire someone that tells them how they can and cannot be on social media because they're actually a celebrity. And, you know, it's like that's an annoying part of your job or not being able to go out in public without being accosted by people who want you to sign memorabilia. And, you know, there's costs and benefits to any job, even one that is theoretically on the pinnacle of what society might think is full of passion and joy yeah, and just the, the epitome of the success. Yeah. yeah. So that was a kind of convoluted answer, but I guess my point is that I think it depends on the circumstance that you're in, in your life and what you're willing to do given any specific scenario. And I think the devil, the devil is in the details. Mm-hmm. The reason that I wanted to talk about this, and I guess I didn't quite explain this to you because I kind of wanted to see how you react to it, but I think that you are a very unique specimen in this discussion and a case study in a way because what you have done most of your life or not most of your life but you know since you know school um, you did a lot of traveling and you did a lot of writing and you very deliberately made a path for yourself where you could really hone in on that passion of writing when that's you know precisely what you wanted to do and you you know we talked about this on a previous podcast we'll probably talk about it later I think we should talk about travel more specifically later as well Um, But you really dedicated yourself to a lifestyle that allowed you to do something that was effectively a profession by before that dedicating yourself really aggressively, you know, to the profession and to, you know, finding your sort of sustainability, your, your space of sustainability financially. And now that we're at Mentor Box, this is kind of the second part of the reason why I wanted to ask this question. We are focused so seriously on, you know, corporate culture, business culture, becoming a successful individual, whether it's within the realm of business or, you know, independent entrepreneurship, those sorts of things. And a lot of what we see are folks that are encouraging people to really think hard about what it means to be a professional in the modern day, because we're kind of at a tipping point where like 
corporate culture is officially like, ugh, you know, it's just, it's a sad thing. Like the movie Office Space from like 98 or whatever, that's kind of when people started to go, I was like, oh, you know, cubicle life is actually kind of lame. Like, and there is a sort of uh, zeitgeist around what it means to be in an office. It's obviously not like universally true, but there is sort of a cloud hovering over that idea of like having an office job and, you know, just working in front of a screen all day. And I think that what a lot of the folks, these experts that we're encountering are saying is that you simply need to have a better manner of, if you're a leader, reminding employees what the core sort of mission and purpose is. And you also need to make that core mission and purpose more purposeful. Like we spoke with um, Fabian Geierhalter, who um, I can't remember the title of the books that, oh, Bigger Than This is, uh, I think it was one of his branding books where he really encourages you to fuse your brand with a, a much larger sort of social planetary ethos. And Carol Sanford has a very similar mission in her writings where she wants people to really dig into the core sort of aura of a human being, you know, beyond any idea of like, you know, what are their skills and what are their, the things that they like? It's even deeper than that and see how you can sort of optimize their core being into a successful position within the company or within the system that they work in and also just allow everybody more autonomy. And what this all says to me is that we really need to be thinking about what a person is in life before they come into being a being in the office. And then there's the whole discussion of entrepreneurship and what that means as, you know, just kind of being a much more independent, free working individual where you make your own schedule, you make as much money as you need and much more and, you know, kind of live the dream in that way. So this to me is right now in this moment, it's a much bigger debate than just like, oh, work versus life. What is it? It's like, should should we be reframing this conversation entirely? Is MentorBox maybe aggregating the folks that are kind of thinking along these lines? I would argue at this point, yeah, it seems to be that way. When you got to that starting point, um, I, were you working in restaurants for a while or something like that? And like during college and just yes. after? Did you have a long-term goal in, in mind at that point or was that kind of like a medium term goal of maybe, you know, you do some really serious writing, put out a book, uh, and then you move on to the next thing? Or did you have like a, a life plan in mind when you started that journey? Yeah. My X marks the spot was always the Nobel Prize in literature. Okay. And the reason why I chose that is because I thought it means at least everything that I've read about it and all of the people that I've read that have won it they do a few things really well. One, they say something that's sort of universal, but they do it in a way that's specific to a region. So a lot of them are very regional and very, they're basically of the time and of their place and simultaneously forever. And I think great, great stories are like that. You can feel yourself in, you know, 18th or 19th century uh, London, you know, in Dickens, like you just feel it. But you also know that, you know, Oliver Twist and that's, that's like a study of childhood and abuse and, and safety and family. And, you know, it's just these like universal archetypal concepts that just cut to the core of our hearts. And that's what I like. I like stories like that. So I thought, you know, what better flag, you know, what better mountain peak, you know, it sort of means that you not only didn't, not only did you write something that was important, that was meaningful to the world in some way, but you did a lot of it. 
So the Nobel Prize is uh, over a lifetime, yeah, right? It's not a Pulitzer Prize or you know, the Man Booker Prize or something where it's for a specific book. You can win the Pulitzer Prize and only write one book. Um, so I thought, I would like to do that for myself. I like to come up with goals that are specific, but they're vague in their reasons. So whether or not I win the Nobel Prize doesn't really matter. But if I'm moving towards that goal, it means that I'm taking my writing seriously and that I want to do a lot of it. And it also necessitates me not thinking that every, a lot of times young authors or young artists in general think that the first thing that they're going to write is like some genius masterwork. And <laughs> the reality is it's probably going to take, you know, 10 books to get there. They're going to be old by the time they get that yeah, sort of recognition. And, and, and that's okay, you know, but so I was trying to sort of convince myself of that in the beginning. So it's, it's, I, I do a lot of mental tricks for myself. That was what I thought, um, that's how I try to approach it. My biggest problem was that I wasn't good enough and I didn't go to school for English or didn't write in my newspaper or anything. So I had some practice with it. You, If you listen to previous podcasts and you'll get a sense for it, maybe not previous, another one in the past that we talked about writing, but I figured I need to practice a lot. It was a very stereotypical chicken or the egg problem. How do you practice something? without getting paid for it, right? Because most of your time then is doing something that you should get paid for. And I think that comes back to the this question of like, what is work? Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually the real question. So yeah. What is yeah, work-life balance? I think what the way that I define it is like, what do you want to accomplish with your life? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you want to mean? Who do you want to be, right? For you having been alive, what is different? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that is a goal, but the strategies for how to accomplish that, and in particular, the tactics for how to get there, require you to do some things that you probably aren't really passionate about because they require you to get good at these other things, these other skills that can help you move towards that larger passion, which is to do some greater thing. So you say, oh, well, I want to cure cancer, right? Well, if you're going to do that, you know, we can brainstorm 58 different skills that you're going to need. And some of them are, might mean, you know, doing PowerPoint presentations for a potential investor that you're trying, you know, and think, you don't think about that at the time. You think of just the sort of sexy version of it, but um, I think in, I <laughs> the think, sexy version of curing brain cancer, like yeah, the results and the well, I mean, like the you know, if you think of everything as psychological, like the recognition and the feeling that you get yeah. about really having done something good for the world, and like th- deservedly so, and yeah. that if you imagine yourself in that place, like I cured cancer, right? It feels good for you, and it feels good for the world, and that's just kind of the soft space. And at three o'clock in the morning redoing your PowerPoint presentation because you're not very good at Photoshop is a very different version of that reality, even though that might have been required for you to eventually get to that passionful life. That I think that's how that's the way I think about it. And I think that's where some people get frustrated is because they're like, I don't like what I'm doing right now. And it's for me, I always think, am I doing, is this the next thing that I need to do in order to do the greater thing that I want to do? Mm-hmm. 
the two examples that you've given so far, you know, curing cancer and winning the, the Nobel Prize, those are both like individual, not totally individual in the Nobel Prize case it is, but those are like very specific, like one-time achievements essentially. And they ultimately would be attributed probably to one person who like led the way in the cancer situation and all that. So I think those are like very unique, you know, lofty examples of goals. And I, what I think about a lot is, you know, where we're both from people's life goals probably were either like mostly non-existent or, or just like much smaller scale. Like sure. I want to, you know, just as, as simple as that very insular family goal of like, I want to start a family and I want to be happy, like simple American dream type thing. I think the direction that I see mentor box friends and experts encouraging people to move toward and the, the direction that I see our culture moving toward is realizing that like, you you can find a, like a passion, and I hate using that word as, as like that broad, like oh you go after your passion. But you can find a passion that is a dedication to some sort of cause. You know, it's a cause that is going to make the world a better place in some way. I think we should all be able to relate our passions to that, not just like the act of what we like to do or the performance or whatever it is. But I think we're moving in a direction that says everybody is going to have you know a a justice or a cause oriented passion and you can find a way to contribute to that somewhere somehow it's just a matter of looking longer and harder um, and having the resources and the space to be able to do so and maybe that early work that you know you don't love maybe it's not as bad because you're working just at a low level of a company that is working toward curing cancer like maybe you want to be involved in the fight to cure cancer that ultimately gets there and maybe you're a part of, you know, the the research group or team that's a very large team that accomplishes that. Or in a much more broad way, maybe you're just, you're working for a corporation that does what you think is very important for the world, that creates a product that is just quintessential to you, that you think needs to be, you know, kept around, made better, improved, and used by everybody. You know, the, the sort of passion that says, I can be at a, a job that isn't entirely fulfilling right now because I know that I'm working within a system that I love and I, I um, enjoy contributing to. And over time, I may have the opportunity to get to a place where I'm actually doing direct work that contributes to that overarching goal in a much more direct, if not quintessential way. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I like to think that we're moving in that direction. And I was so lucky when I got out of college, I was able to work for a publishing company whose mission I loved. Unfortunately, it didn't work out in a lot of ways. Um, and then I found MentorVox, which I basically feel the same way about. And Adam Markell, who um, I'm not sure if you've seen his video, actually just came out a few days ago, I think. So you probably haven't seen it on MentorVox yet. But his book is called Pivot. It's all about like changing your life, your profession and your life to realize that you can do that thing. You can contribute in that way that you wanted to, even if it's not you know, immediately evident in the work that you're doing or in your current job. You can pivot to a different place, to a different job, to a different lifestyle that does that work. And the point of his book is that anybody can do that. It's just a matter of finding the energy and making that change. And this, I think, is something that you would probably advocate for very much because of your strong belief that, you know, it's it's about the individual making that change. So my question then is, how far away are we from this being a sort of cultural movement that really, you know, turns the table? Because I do think you're right that it's a generational thing that, you know, people that were like our parents are very much about, you know, that more sort of family oriented, 
you know, you work a day, you get paid and that makes you happy type life. But with the flexibility of work, the fact that you can work re- remotely in, in most cases, if we're being honest at this point, or you can work independently, entrepreneurship is so much easier to achieve. Do you see us going in that direction where people are saying, like the word work, I think that is ultimately the core question. The word work kind of, you know, skews its dirty type of skin that it has and it ends up being something that's, that's a point of pride, you know? Do you think that we're going to reach a place as a culture that loves work? <laughs> yeah, I think for sure. I think the, uh, you know, I believe in personal responsibility. And I also believe in just kind of the the hand of the market. And I think that there's people vote with their dollars, but they also vote with their talents. And so I think if a company isn't doing something good for the world and they're the most talented people in the world are not are ref- going to refuse to work for them, then it's going to make it difficult for them to compete. And so if as an individual, if you think that what you're doing is for nothing in, in a larger scale other than survival, right? So that's a, the baseline is I do this thing in order to make money in order to survive, right? You are probably not going to be very happy yourself and you might also be contributing to the evil side, right? Because you're not thinking. And if you're not thinking, then you're not choosing. And then if you're not choosing, then you're actually susceptible to the evil side because they're going to just tell you what to do. And then you're going to follow because you're not thinking and you're not choosing. So if you, if you say, listen, you know what? I really don't think that I'm going to push myself beyond working at, let's say, uh, a fast food restaurant, right? That's like, that's what I'm going to do. And there's a lot of really cool fast food restaurants, actually. <laughs> I'm serious. Like Super Duper Burger in San Francisco. Everything, oh, yeah. not only are they great. I but, didn't know that was considered fast food. <laughs> well, yeah. I it was, mean, it it's, was fast. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's of that, you know, they have burgers and fries are pretty much the only thing on the menu. It's a classic you know, milkshakes and burgers and fries type of joint. It's very old school kind of fast food style. Um, except everything they have is compostable in the entire place. Oh. Right? And so everything they have is organic and, you know, all of their beef is grass fed and, you know, I don't know all of the words, but pasture raised and, you know, all of that stuff. Like everything is ethical. And you have, and it's honestly, the difference is like, 50 cents extra for a burger or something, you know, it it doesn't end end up at that scale. It doesn't change the amount that much. And so if you wanted to be, if you wanted to work for someplace like that, and they're in San Francisco where the minimum wage is $15 an hour, you know? So my point is that you could say, you know what I want to do? I want to move in this direction. So I'm going to work for super duper burger or burgerville in Portland, Oregon, for example, is the same way where they're just like very eco-friendly and they still look like a McDonald's. Like it has the same type of parking lot and the, you know, this whole same feel to it. And I'm just using that as an example that any individual, regardless of your specialization, like so someone's going to pay you for your specialization, for your work, for your time, for your know-how. And that's why I think it ultimately, again, comes back to personal responsibility that if you 
even if you say, I'm not, you're right, Nobel Prize or curing cancer is a very lofty goal. And I think I'm you know, speaking to the type of people that are kind of in that world, maybe MentorBox, uh, yeah. I think, audiences oh, of that. And I definitely am like that. So that just is what comes to my head. I'm always thinking very lofty. But even for someone that, you know, stereotypically is at the lower rung of society because they're just working at a, a, a fast food restaurant that, you know, they're not being creative or really doing anything outside of just doing what they're told. You can still say, I'm passionate about whatever this may be, and I'm going to push this in the right direction, you know? So I think that no matter what, it's happening and it's going to continue to happen. I also think that, I think that most of our like bottom two uh, rungs of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs are going to be done for us in like the next 20 years. So like anyone, I honestly do believe this. I know this sounds kind of maybe sci-fi-ish, but I really do think that they will have, I don't know who they is. Maybe it's the government. Maybe it's Amazon. Maybe it's some, yeah, it's probably Amazon. (laughs) We'll just say like, listen, you know, if you don't have food or you don't have shelter, like we can 3D print this massive building and, you know, there's going to be little, what are those called? The hover guys. Um, Hover guys? Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. They're like helicopters you can control. Drones. Drones, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't think of the word. So <laughs> hover guys. You know, I think drones are just going to come to anyone and just say, oh, here's your box of vegetables or whatever. And I, th- yeah. I honestly think that that's going to happen. And I don't think that's too far-fetched. I mean. And so if you have food and shelter and, you know, parks for community and that sort of thing. And I mean, I think eventually you see it happening right now with like the artisanal movement, right? Like artisanal movement and being like all the craft breweries instead of Budweiser or like uh, farmer's markets everywhere, you know, around the country. Like I've, I remember when I was, I was in Boston for a little while and we were deciding my fiance and I where to go next and I was just searching everywhere and there was all these great articles about like downtown Kansas City and like it's great farmer's market and you just wouldn't imagine, you know, but I'm sure it's great. You know, you go to basically any city, at least in the United States, and you have people that are really passionate about, you know, whatever coffee they're making or whatever that may be. You know, I think as capitalism becomes hyper efficient because of technology, it makes it easier for us to zone in on our specialization. I, I, I see that things are going to move in the right direction, honestly. Hey, I hate to interrupt this conversation with Jonathan Kendall, but I want to let you know where you can learn more from him. He's recorded a whole bunch of fiction lessons, workshops on entrepreneurship, lessons on money-making, psychological well-being, and much, much more. But, of course, he's recorded them exclusively for MentorBox members. If you want to access all of that and much, much more, be sure to visit MentorBox.com. Okay, back to the show. Every time you and I speak, we, we come down to... A discussion about politics, and I think I feel like it's my fault, but I, I do see this as still susceptible, like to the division of of politics here, because they're, I mean, Dunkin' Donuts back home and just Starbucks oh, everywhere. Yeah, for like sure. the, these places are everywhere. But then when you think about McDonald's and Burger King and those guys, like I'm not really sure how those places are doing right now, but I'm quite sure that they're not going to kind of disappear anytime immediately soon. And I think that there is a a large population, especially in America, that just really values uh, 
deliciousness over just about anything else. And that's that sort of, you know, that ultimate freedom of choice and, you know, freedom to put in your body whatever you want, you know, food, even if it's, you know, not sustainable, not healthy, whatever. It, a lot of people just don't care as much as San Francisco and Portland, <laughs> to put it, you know, to the extremes that we are near right now. And yeah, you're right. I, I think I would love to see what you're describing right now, but I think it's that's going to come, like, with a a big fight. Like those aren't going to take over in certain places in the South, like Burgerville and super duper burger. They're not just going to like pop in place of McDonald's there. And to me, no, I think McDonald's will change because I think they care more about 20% of the market share than you think. That's my prediction. It's, I, I don't think that Burgerville will take over McDonald's, but I do think that McDonald's will say we've revolutionized our farms and they'll go out with this massive campaign, you know, in the next 10 years and say, we've, we can do Burgerville better than Burgerville. Actually, I think they're already starting to do yeah, that. Yeah, they are for sure. They, they just did like the, something like burgers cooked on the spot or like something different that I feel like they make these updates like relatively frequently where like they like no frozen meat at Wendy's. Like there are things that change. It's moving in years. a direction. You cannot yeah. like, it is not moving in the more processed, more frozen we really don't care about the animals' feelings even more. Like it's not moving in that direction. That side is not winning. Yeah, that, that's that's, that's what my point is. True. It's 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 going to be slow. I bet. Yeah. Um, but my point here is that it's it's hard to. I would I would think, and I shouldn't really. Well, I once worked at a Supercuts, which you know I didn't value in any serious way, except for the fact that I was like fifteen or sixteen and needed a high school job. Um, and that's a chain haircut place. Like I. Um, it, I'm, it's now I feel like I'm comparing, you know, supercuts and McDonald's, but (laughs) I don't think there's anything wrong with supercuts. I don't think there is either. I still go there all the time, but like I used to go to McDonald's all the time, but like, I, I think it's hard to, you know, work at McDonald's or work at a, a fast food place and really, and feel that sort of that fulfillment that you would get from like a super duper burger. But those places, you know, they need to operate in a lot of ways. So I feel like there is, there's a bit of something rubbing, pushing back there. Disconnect. Yeah, there's a disconnect. And I don't think there are people in certain areas that are saying, you know, I love how delicious McDonald's food is, so I love working there. Like, I, that makes me happy to work there. I'm sure there are plenty of people that feel that way, but it's hard to see that, like, you know, somebody joins McDonald's and says, oh, I, I am, I'm joining this because it's a good cause and it's a good corporation and it's this and that. It's, it seems to be like a placeholder for people who need certain kinds of jobs in certain situations. Sure. And I, it requires leadership. It might, if it happens, it's going to happen from the top down. Mm-hmm. So that might be contradictory to what I just said in terms of, well, you know, you vote with your talent and you, you know, but, but the, the person that comes in that says, Hey, you know, shareholders, I'm sorry that we're down 5% in the last three quarters, but this is my revolutionary idea is that we're going to change our brand. Uh, I know, like, for example, Diet Coke is going the opposite extreme, right? Where I don't know if you've seen their new campaign, but it's like, Diet Coke because I can. You know, it's like very... <laughs> I like, haven't. Oh, no. it's super intense. It's very, like, middle finger to the whole conversation that's happening that basically, you know, Coke is poison and sugar water. And, you know, we might in 25 years think about it in the same way that we think about cigarettes and, and probably should, in fact, because diabetes is a massive killer and it's it's totally destroying 
health and it costs us billions of dollars as a society. You know, people are addicted to it. But that was a little rant. But my point is that, you know, I think that a lot of it has to come from top down. In those big companies, I mean, I think we're we're talking about it from both sides of the, you know, it's burning from both ends. I think, um, but as an individual, honestly, the the it comes down to this. I think as an individual, if you want to have a work life balance, you have to you have to have something that you care about, some passion that you want to, something you want to accomplish in your life, something you want to do, or something you want to provide for your family or whatever that may be. You have some mission, you know. Write it down write it down every, you know, different, if it changes, it changes, whatever it may be, but then try to do things that are in accordance with that mission. And if that is starting your own business, it's starting your own business. If it's working, if it's quitting your job and working for a company that is more towards that mission, then that's, it is what it is, you know? And I think some people are just a hundred percent, I absolutely agree, are not going to care, nor are they going to listen to this conversation. (laughs) And you know, it is what it is. Not everyone is, you know, I think some percentage of the population definitely is more in a survival mode and maybe they're less altruistic and they're just thinking about what they want in the moment and they don't see an out for themselves because they haven't been, they don't have any role models or mentors that have taught them that there, there is a way out. And I mean, all of that's true, but fundamentally, if like, if you're listening to this, I think the answer is pick a mission and then do something that is at least moving you in that direction. It might mean that, like, for example, I worked at restaurants, you know, in the summers and I lived in my car literally for months out of the year and would just work, 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 work. And I would save all of my money. And then I would move to Mexico or some other place for the rest of the time. And I would write. And so I was giving, that was back to the chicken or the egg problem is that I made a very extreme conscious choice to game the system and, you know, work a lot and do nothing other than work and save so that I could then eventually become a professional writer because I knew I, so that's an extreme case. But when I was working at a restaurant 80 hours a week, you know, it wasn't glamorous and it wasn't like, I wasn't passionate about it. You know, I tried to make it the best version of whatever I could. I worked at nice restaurants so I could taste wine and, you know, and there was different specials every day and I ate well. And, you know, I, I tried to move up that ladder as well as I was, but all the while knowing that it was just a stepping stone, right? So, so long as you know the story in your head, right? So you're going to have like parental figures and I mean figures as, because that's just a stereotypical way of thinking about it. Cause a lot of people who want to do something incredible or interesting, or they want to take some risk, you know, the, your parents in quotations, society in general is going to say, no, you can't do that. Or you shouldn't do that. Just keep doing what you're doing because you have your 401k and you have your retirement and it's easier. And you know, what are you going to do for the two months that you're off? And the answer is that's total bullshit because there's always an answer. Mm-hmm. You know, they're creating a false dichotomy. Yeah, and that's that's what I'm thinking that we're moving beyond here. And I feel like this is all culminating in like this big like plug that I have just for MentorBox. <laughs> but I, I really do feel that like, you know, the the ultimate purpose of MentorBox is to teach people in a very accessible way that you can in fact like divorce yourself from this the sort of like the slog like that and either find, you know, freedom in some other way financially because you can be an entrepreneur or you know, follow the steps of people like Adam Markell and make that pivot, make that switch. And I think that's really important to keep in mind. 
Um, and that's why I wish we could get this message out to more people ultimately. But I think that the sort of divide that that exists that prevents a lot of people from doing this, well, I think I, what I'm thinking about a lot is how like it seems like capitalism kind of just took out, like just beat science to the punch in a lot of case, in, in a lot of cases where, you know, poor health and things that are bad for your health kind of were made famous because they're delicious or because they're appealing before science was able to be like, hey, wait a minute, maybe that's not great. And, Absolutely. And now those corporations kind of rule the world. And I, I think that keeps a lot of people stuck. I think a lot of people feel like because they they don't support so much of what is out there that, you know, that has a lot to do with what they are capable of putting themselves into professionally. You know, like if if you want to work for in in any sort of management role or business role or anything like that, it's probably beneficial to work for a company that isn't like entirely putting out an ethical product like Coke or you know, big tobacco. For a while, that that was the case if you're in management and business. So I think we're just kind of in a maybe in like an in-between phase where we're transitioning into this much more ethics-based corporate culture. Ideally, that might be a lofty thing to say. I think it's just knowledge. You You call it science. I think it's just knowledge. I think it could be the internet as well. Like, you know, an aggregate of knowledge, of information. Like people. I'm talking about actual research that says, like, you know, like cigarettes are bad. Like, I mean, that might seem obvious to us and, like, yeah, it's knowledge, but like when people first started smoking, like, it wasn't abundantly clear that they were, like, actually, you know, doing harm. And it's still not abundantly clear to people that, like, really sugary products are doing a lot of harm. Is it really? You think people still don't believe that? Oh, yeah. Like they think Oreos are fine? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding? <laughs> I feel like people in... I haven't Ore- been... Maybe I just haven't been to my hometown in long enough. Oreos were the most popular snack in my college. Like all my friends just had like like a box of them. It was, it was crazy. I mean, they, they know it's bad, but... I love Oreos. <laughs> I used to. I, they didn't hurt me as far as I can tell, but I know what you're saying. I, I'm just saying that um, it's abundantly clear to most people, but it actually, like it wasn't clear that sugar did a certain thing to your body until relatively recently, like the 90s, the, the snackums or something like that. Snackwells. Um, snackwells, yeah. Super so, healthy, all sugar. Yeah, yeah, because they didn't have <laughs> fat. And now it's like, wait a minute, like we're all getting unhealthy. And it's that sort of thing. Like the science, the research there that needed to be done, that supposedly was done, like it, I guess knowledge is probably a better word because it would science was done, but it was faulty. I would say I think the the maybe a better word is awareness rather than yeah. knowledge. I, that's what I mean. I, I mean like people like the science is first, right? So like prove that this is right or wrong, like the proper good science, right? Ultimately. And then once that that's established, then it's how do we inform the masses? And I guess that we're be we're being more informed, I guess, of some of this kind of stuff. I also think that there's really just there's good examples out there of you know companies that are doing well, and you're like, oh wow, I really like working for this company, or you know, you maybe not in like you know the bowels of you know I don't know I don't want to point anyone out, but like the Midwest or something, you know, where it's still very kind of agrarian or you know old school factories and mechanical and that sort of thing, and you're like, how can I get really excited about working for General Motors, but, you know, maybe you can because they're going to, you know, if they create the right electric car, 
that's a transformation. That's a societal transformation. Yeah, yeah. I think there are plenty of companies that theoretically could take on a project like that that takes that attempts to achieve that next level thing, that society changing, you know, ultimate righteous or technological, like wildly technological innovation that really moves things forward. I think just about any company can in some way endeavor to do that. And I don't think we're there yet. Where I, And I think that's why people are so down on corporations because clearly like that wasn't always the goal. It was to make you know money and something delicious and something appealing. And my hope, and I guess what I'm trying to communicate here is that we are contributing, you know, you and I in MentorBox, to a culture that is is seeking to to do that, that the next era of corporations and, and the next era of corporate ideas in the current corporations will seek to do those things as healthily as possible. But it sounds like what you're telling me is that Coke isn't quite on board with that yet with the because I can motto and that sort of thing. No, I think Coke is, I don't think they care at all. I think they're too big, honestly. And, and that's that's what scares me. And that's why I think people are like, screw corporations because they're just so massive and they don't have to care. Well, it, it, it you have to be nuanced about it. Like corporations in general are all no, yeah, that, that's wrong. But no, that's what I'm saying. Is like Coca Cola pe- evil? Probably. People think about the biggest ones. <laughs> Me and uh, Sarah, our videographer, were talking about veganism the other day because she's a vegan, and or she's our video editor. She, I, I kind of see a lot of people accusing all vegans of being aggressive and mean and that sort of thing. And I told her, I was like, it really seems like that takes on like the primary understanding of what a vegan is is like that aggressive mean person who hates you because you eat meat and she was like yeah like we don't care if you eat meat we just we don't and like we will explain to you why and we'll teach you all about it but we're not going to like throw it in your face and and she feels attacked a lot of time because people just assume that she is that way and that that's how i feel a lot of people are like corporations because i think really extreme christians that feel the same way in the united states like ones that are very like jesus peaceful yeah and they're like, no, I'm not like trying to like be an evangelical crazy, you know, push it down your throat or, you know, tell you why everything you're doing is immoral, like Leviticus loving kind of yeah, you know, yeah. crazy Christian. I, I think, mean, the loudest get the most attention at the end sure. of the day. So that's, that's what this all amounts to is it, the, they take on the sort of primary identity of whatever sort of class or group or category they're in. And, and that can be difficult for all of those classes and groups and categories, unfortunately. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways out, honestly, like to come full circle about this conversation. Basically, there's there's a lot of ways to be passionate about your life. And, you know, the fact that a lot of people have this conversation is because we spend a lot of time at work. Oh, yeah. Because we have to. Because you have to contribute to society in order to eat. Mm-hmm. Like, it's as simple as that. Like, do you want a warm house with a blanket and like electricity and food. Like it's simple as that. You have to do something for society, right? It's an exchange of value. So whether that's work for some corporation or if it's, you know, work for MentorBox or your own entrepreneur or, you know, whatever it may be, you're faced with a choice basically. Like at what point do I choose to emphasize what I want to change in the world when it comes to work, maybe at the expense of some other thing, right? Maybe it's money, maybe it's hierarchy, maybe it's whatever it may be, right? Um, And my 
challenge is that I think it's a false dichotomy, especially for anyone that's listening to this, is that there is a way. And it might mean that you're not doing something that you just are like eating Oreos while jumping on a trampoline your whole day, you know, that you're just like, oh my God, this is my life is so fun. And, and like <laughs> at sunset, you know, with like the love of your life and you're just like, oh my God, like that's not how your life is going to feel all the time. And in fact, that doing that over and over again is actually kind of hellish because it is so selfish and hedonistic that it's eventually going to crush your soul. So be like being passionate about what you want to do and moving towards some greater thing is uh, please everyone do it obviously. Um, (laughs) But, but don't in the meantime, you know, be so upset because for a quarter or for three months or for four months or for five months, even you might have to put your head down on some project that your company needs that might be a little bit boring or technical or not as exciting, but you know, that's how great things are accomplished in individual. It's a fractal. It's like, that's how you accomplish great things as an individual, is how you accomplish great things as a community, as a business, as a society, is that you start chipping away at things. And so that's why, again, I think going back to like, what is my mission? What is the thing that I want to do? What is the thing that I want to accomplish? How do I want to move the needle of society? In what way? And if you knew like how to do it, you would just do it. So you don't have to have like the specific answer, but you need to know it's like in the realm of whatever, you know, pick something, pick your poison. And then choose based on that. But the point is choose. Yeah. Like be conscious and don't say, well, you know, I've had this job for a while. Who cares? You know, like today is always the new day. You know, that's like, that's I think on our mentor box actually, like Mary Shelley, like today is always the first day or something like that. There's some quote from Frankenstein. But the idea is that it doesn't really matter what's happened. If you choose that, it doesn't matter, you know, and... I know that some people have, it's easier or, or harder. And some people that might mean, you know what, I'm just going to sell my house and I'm going to move to wherever and I'm going to change my life because they don't have kids and they're not married and they, you know, then, okay, good for you. Then you can make a massive decision. And for another person, it might be subtle. You know, it might be very, very subtle. It might be switching from McDonald's to Burgerville, Mm -hmm. you know, and everything in between counts in my eyes. Absolutely. Are you familiar with streamers these days? Do you know people who stream for a living? Uh, It's like video games, right? It's mostly video games, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's actually somebody who ate Oreos while bouncing on a trampoline for money every (laughs) single day. I just, I think we can talk about this on another occasion. Actually, that's pretty philosophical though, because you think about what is value. Like this actually comes down to, I think, sports as well. So some people say like, why... You know, why is LeBron James makes $50 million a year? Like, is that actually contributing to society $50 million worth of it? And I would absolutely unequivocally say yes, 100%. I'm not even remotely worried about it because the same reason why, a, you know, a, a movie makes a billion dollars because it's entertainment and it's also community. It's great for society. I think sports are incredible for society because they allow us to fight without fighting and they give us heroic figures to look up to and they push us to push ourselves because they are like, wow, I can't believe like this. They're like, he's LeBron James is like, like a hero, you know, he's like a, an idol, a, a, almost like a mythical figure in a way. Just a kid from Ohio, Akron. Just, you know, without a father and, you know, just, just obviously he's got incredible gifts, but 
there's a lot of people that are six eight and like kind of strong and you know he's a different <laughs> level you know what i mean like yeah like it's really extreme what he's doing and i think it's great for society and if he got paid three times as much as he got paid i think it's totally fine i actually got involved in a mj versus lebron debate today i'm at lunch break with like a bunch of kids from my hometown from my whole basketball team actually and I I felt obligated to just put the longest post I've ever posted in my life and then just leave because it felt like one of those political debates where it's just going to go on and on forever with no you know end so I was just like here's one turn off notifications goodbye and I like to think that people appreciate my input at least <laughs> but I mean, that's one of those debates that's hard to come to a conclusion for yeah I don't think we know yet we have to wait oh, yeah. until the end of his career that was actually my conclusion too so. yeah there's time to tell still. Yeah, he's he's close. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so we'll see. Especially at this age, stats improving each year. It's unreal. <laughs> Actually, I think this is a great topic for another full podcast. I mean, the history of sports is so robust and entertainment in general. You know, assigning value and, and worth to that is a huge topic that's basically debated on forums and chats all over social media every single day you know our players being paid too much that sort of thing is it is it changing society and culture as we know it etc uh <laughs> just, there's, there's so much there i think there's so much to talk about so yeah we can just take a break for now thanks everybody so much for tuning in if you want to hear more from jonathan be sure to visit mentorbox.com all of his fiction lessons and other workshops are up there they are wonderful so be sure to check it out thank you so much for tuning in we'll catch you on the next one Thank you so much for listening to the MentorBox podcast. If you want to learn more about what our authors as well as all of our authors teach, make sure to sign up at MentorBox.com. And if you like the MentorBox podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts, as that helps us get discovered by more people who will enjoy and be helped by what we do over here at MentorBox. Also, if you think of anyone who would enjoy or be helped by what we do here at MentorBox, be sure to let them know. We do what we do at MentorBox to try to make the world a better place through the incredible education our authors bring. And we can only do that through your help. So please help us spread the word. Again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next MentorBox podcast. 